This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Dr. Peter Salerno believes that people make positive and lasting changes based on the insight gained during the process of psychotherapy. Psychotherapy provides an opportunity for people to reassess personal history and make connections between past and present conflicts. He does not view people as sick, dysfunctional, or disordered. Rather, Dr. Salerno believes that when our desire to grow outweighs our fear of growth, we become empowered to reach our full potential and to live the life that we truly want to live. When this cannot be accomplished on our own, psychotherapy is simply an effective resource that can become a meaningful and liberating experience. Understanding the impact of work-related trauma you experience as a firefighter brings both challenges and benefits. Reliving memories that you wish would just stay buried can seem like torture, and it can stir up all kinds of emotions that you've tried hard to keep at bay. But working through trauma will bring clarity to your life that you haven't had in a long time. It will feel like tremendous relief to have your life back so you can finally be present and deeper connected to yourself and the ones you love. Eventually, you will end up enjoying your time off-duty in a truly positive way. Valeria Tellez interviews Dr. Peter Salerno. He is the author of Fit for Off-Duty, A Manual for Firefighters, Healing from Work-Related Trauma, Restoring Personal Relationships, and Thriving at Home. Peter Salerno, Doctorate of Psychology, LMFT, is a licensed psychotherapist residing in Southern California who holds a doctoral degree in psychology, a master's degree in clinical psychology, and a bachelor's degree in literature. Dr. Salerno is a trauma specialist who utilizes evidence-based attachment-oriented approaches to promote healing and self-empowerment. Dr. Salerno is trained in eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing therapy, EMDR, and is certified in family trauma and complex trauma through the International Association of Trauma Professionals. Dr. Salerno is certified in critical incident stress management, CISM. He also holds certifications in psychoanalytic psychotherapy and hypnotherapy, and is trained to administer and score the Hair Psychotherapy Checklist, revised, PCL-R. Dr. Salerno works with individuals of all ages, couples, and families in private practice. Meet Dr. Peter at drpetersalerno.com. Here's the interview with Dr. Peter Salerno. In your own words, who is Dr. Peter Salerno? I would say that I am first and foremost a healer and my healing takes place through adding value, 
growth and empowerment to uh, into the lives of others. What is healing to you and what are the obstacles to healing? I would say that healing to me is, it's a process. It's not just a sort of a concrete or um, there's no finish line to it. I don't, I don't believe. I think it's more of a uh, progressive experience. And I would say that it's something that involves self-realization, self-exploration, and certainly can be promoted, encouraged through others. But I think ultimately it's it's a way to achieve uh, self-reliance. And obstacles to it, I would say, are involved internally as well. I think um, self-doubt, you know, self-worth, lack of support. I think all those things contribute as obstacles. Would you say that self-love, self-acceptance, it's part of that self-reliance idea, concept? Absolutely. I think it's, uh, well, self-love Self-love is necessary for self-reliance, I would say. And, and self-reliance doesn't necessarily have to include or have to exclude others, but it, it, it definitely involves trusting yourself. And I wonder what that looks like on a day-to-day basis, or moment-to-moment even, Peter. Could you describe what it feels like and what would that look like to trust oneself? I would say it feels like joy, our ability to get what we want from our, our own resources, our internal resources. Yeah, as far as what it what it looks like, I think not everybody, but I think a lot of people have a tendency to look outside of themselves for answers and trust that other people know what's best for them. And I think the the self-reliance, the self-love involves tapping into your yourself as a your own educator almost. You know, it, it's to draw it out of yourself through your intuition, through your sort of higher faculties, rather than just always assuming the answer is somewhere out there. Another open question I have is about the purpose of the human experience. What do you think that is? I actually heard that um, somebody talk about that the other day. Um, It was very eloquently said that we all have the same purpose. It's just there are different ways to achieving that purpose. But I believe the purpose is for all of us to kind of recognize that we're all united, connected, eliminate the competition in that and just kind of focus on being creative with one another. Mm. I think we discount our own capacity to be creative and to participate in the human experience through our own creativity. And everybody plays a part in that. It's not an exclusive uh, group. I think we can all participate in that in a way that's very, um, that flows naturally. What is your idea of spirituality? And do you have any belief systems, views, established ones? That's a great question. And I don't mean any judgment or criticism on anybody. When I answer this question, these are just my personal views. I grew up in a an organized uh, religion that there was a lot of beauty in it, but also a lot of restrictions and limitations. And after some personal traumatic experiences in my life, I started to venture outside of anything that has bounds or limits. And now I would say that um, I definitely acknowledge a divine intelligence, let's say, but it's 
kind of a unique experience for every individual. There's no division is is how I see that. And, mm. and it's so true. And it is the way we perceive ourselves in life that we can tap into this divinity that is yes. in everyone and everything. And I wonder why some of us don't get there, don't get to see that. Do you wonder why sometimes, Peter? I can speak from personal experience that my what what was preventing me was uh, fear. Fear is a very powerful motivator. If you believe something enough and it scares you to believe or risk going into something else, that can be very challenging, a big obstacle. Another question I have for you is about the freedom. What is your understanding of freedom? What is to be free? Freedom to me is, I would say it's the capacity to experience um, joy, which to me, joy is the, going back to fear, it's the absence of fear. It's the absence of doubt. It's just confidence and knowing assurance and knowing that you have everything you want and need. And I believe that's very liberating. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> um, I love the way you say that too. So having everything that we need and want in this moment, because I, I love the idea that we can kind of experience this, which we call life, in a moment-to-moment basis and staying present. I mean, sometimes it is necessary to go back to the past or to plan. So we do use the mind with those purposes. But I, I really love the idea of being here now yeah, and not leaving this moment. Another question I have, it's about the greatest need when it comes to the world as a whole. Uh, now we have the war happening, which is um, mm-hmm. an interesting event. What do you feel like it's something that we are missing as humanity, as a world community? What is missing? Why are we engaging in fighting one another and killing one another as, as we are seeing now? It's terrifying. I heard recently war can stand for uh, we are right, which means that everybody else has to be wrong. And I think that's what we're missing is that we somehow still think that we can't coexist. We have to have that. We have to be right and others have to be wrong. I think as long as that exists in our social consciousness, our social unconsciousness, then we're going to unfortunately keep thinking we are are enemies. So true. I never heard about that. It it makes so much sense to me. Hearing this for the first time, we are right, war. Yeah. And the alternative to that, when I'm I'm trying to think about, I love trust. That's one, one word that I often use. I trust life and whatever is happening, it's happening. Not really for a reason, but because... It's life manifesting itself, doing what it does. And I know that life is very supportive of itself and very nurturing. So there's something happening here that it must be seen. So that's what I I often ask, like now in this moment with this war, like what am I to see? What am I not missing, but what what am I not seeing? And it's almost in a way... Asking the question about contribution. Am I contributing to this? Mm. 
it's very important, I think, to come from that place, like of, as individuals, are, am I contributing to this? Or how am I mm-hmm. doing so? Well, what's our personal responsibility? And what comes to me, Peter, more and more and more is kindness. It's like being as kind as I can be <laughs> on a moment-to-moment basis. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the contribution that I want to make. And if I can do that from this moment on, then I trust that I will see the change. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's almost like um, almost like a divine message or inspiration. It, it comes to me in this way. You wrote the book, Fit for Off-Duty, a manual for firefighters, healing from work-related trauma, restoring personal relationships, and thriving at home. So talk to me for a moment about the main inspiration and intention of writing your book. So uh, the main inspiration is that I, I grew up, I was raised by a firefighter and my father was a firefighter. My brother, my older brother was a firefighter. And that actually, my father getting into the fire service took place around when I was around the age of eight. So lots of just developmental changes in the human experience at that age. But, but the, the work entailed a drastic shift in family dynamics with my dad normally working a nine to five job up to that point to all of a sudden being gone and being exposed to all kinds of possible, uh, you know, critical incidents and emergencies. And I noticed as when I was really young, I was already kind of healing, counseling, mediating. And I, I just recognized even the, just the entire spirit of the household shifted in, into despair, sorrow, which all accompanies trauma, right? As I grew up and started working and serving in the helping profession, I, I started noticing a lot of people who work in the first response and, and um, these services were gravitating towards my practice. And it can be kind of tricky because typically it's not their go-to to seek outside help. Um, they're not trained to, they're not um, encouraged to. I was looking for a way that I could relate to them and give them something uh, that would instill some hope so that they would come back and continue the work, the courageous work of healing. And I noticed that when I left, when they, I gave them something and they left with something tangible that they were more inspired to come back. Um, I think part of it is going home, um, being in your safe environment, reading something, I think is a different experience than just uh, sitting with someone you don't know in an office in a strange environment and, and, um, kind of having difficulty self-regulating in that environment. I think people can talk themselves out of coming back for, for more help. So that's pretty much the reason why I wrote the book is to, um, obviously I think anytime we do something like this, uh, it's to, it's for our own self-healing too. I think I healed in a lot of ways writing this, um, from my own experiences with my my family. And I just wanted to offer that uh, to firefighters, first responders who have families of their own and might not understand quite why they're having difficulty connecting 
just wanted to offer a resource for that. How do you see mental health these days? How would you describe what is to be mentally healthy? What is to be mentally healthy from your perspective? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know if my answer will be as common as mm -hmm. with other mental health professionals. Yeah. I think I think mental health is um, physical and spiritual health. I think it's a lot of the things that happen after trauma have more to do with physiology than psychology. And so I am a big uh, proponent of getting back into your body, learning how to self-regulate your body, which will then help you be more creative with your mind rather than fearful with your mind. So I think uh, a lot of the mental health is really physical health, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, I never heard it that way. It makes a lot of sense to me. Is that body-mind connection. Mm -hmm. Of course, the body affects the mind so much. And yeah, we often talk about this here, like what is uh, the main influence for our behaviors and for the way we navigate and perceive life. And then I hear a lot about the mind dominating, but it, maybe I have, I have heard the higher mind, the high mind, which yeah. is it's different than the, than the judgmental mind. I was going to say when our body is perceiving threat, whether it's a real threat or an, or a, a perceived threat that is not real, we're not in any real danger. It's our, our lower mind will say is pretty inaccessible anyway. It's, it's like our, our thinking brain <laughs> kind of shuts down when we're perceiving threat. So it's really important to remember that, um, you have to take care of your body, get your body relaxed in order to think properly anyway. I love that. And with that in mind, one way that I can relate to it, that's not really myself, but my husband, mm -hmm. he drinks a lot of coffee. I mean, to me, it's a lot. Two or three cups a day. And I feel like his body, it's kind of, um, it's almost like being affected by it in a negative way. Mm. And I see that he becomes anxious and reactive a lot of times. I know it's not trauma related, but that's how the body can affect the mind, right, Peter? Oh, absolutely. And I think it is actually trauma related in the sense of when we're traumatized or when we're even when we're anxious, we're looking, there's a tendency to look for external agents to alleviate that. But most of them are actually going to contribute more to the problem. Coffee, for example, is it's harmless to the organ systems, let's say, but it tricks your brain into thinking it's supposed to be alert when it doesn't need to be. And so that's going to send signals from the body to the brain that, that we're anxious, right? We're, uh, we're hyper. <laughs> Before I ask you more questions about your book, I wanted to talk for a moment about the services that you offer, individual therapy, family therapy, and couple therapy. So talk to me for a moment about that, Peter. Are you accepting new clients at this time? I'm currently full, which is a wonderful uh, problem to have. But, um, you know, that always, that sort of shifts. Some people I've noticed find me when they're absolutely ready and, and, in need and other people will say graduate and sort of start working on their own. 
So that's always changing is my point. Um, yeah, so that's great to know. And also, are you open to everyone else besides first responders and firefighters? Oh, yes, yes. First responders, um, that's that's just a portion of, of my work. I do, I do, I work with all all different populations. And firefighters, they are also first responders, right? They're included in that category, aren't yes. they? Yes. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear more about the therapeutic modalities that you offer or that you use. So you have so many of them, the EFT, um, also EMDR, which is, um, I think it's, the, it's in two chapters in your book, chapter seven and eight, you talk about EMDR. And then cognitive therapy, attachment therapy, and psychodynamic therapy. I'd love to hear about each one of them a bit, if you could disclose that information, Peter. Sure. So EFT is actually um, emotion-focused therapy that I, it's typically done among uh, couples. What it's aimed to do is help couples learn how to be attuned to those sort of subtle cues of emotional need, kind of the way I, I, I've heard it described uh, by the the founder of it, uh, Sue Johnson, is it's sort of like a dance, sort of learning how to co-regulate one another by paying, being very mindful of not just what is being said, but what's being felt and body language and basically helping increasing safety the longer that you're together versus the increase of threat, which sometimes happens when we misread a cue or we miss somebody's need. It can turn into threat very quickly, which obviously can escalate into a disconnection. Yeah. And then attachment and psychodynamic are sort of individual versions of that very thing. The co-regulation kind of takes place more with the it within the therapy, in the therapeutic relationship. The cognitive therapy, cognitive therapy, I think, is very useful after you have learned how to self-regulate. You've learned how to keep your your body relaxed because going back to what we discussed earlier, if the body's not relaxed, the brain is sort of offline anyway. So that's sort of like a self, I, I consider that sort of like a almost a self-exploration, almost philosophical kind of experience is the cognitive type of therapy. And then the EMDR has been pretty popular as a trauma treatment because it it it's pretty effective short term. And one of the reasons why that's very useful for first responders, let's say, is because they a lot of their goals for um for healing is to get back to an optimal level where they can perform at work again. So they're kind of looking for a very practical, pragmatic type of um, intervention that that's short-term in nature so they can just go get back to serving in the way they serve. Yeah. So the short-term, would that be a month, two, or just within one session even, Peter? It's actually all of the above. <laughs> I've heard of people and I've worked with people who have experienced um, very rapid results after one session, two sessions. And then there's also some people who they've sort of used it more, um, to work on a lot of what's called cumulative or complex trauma, maybe go stemming back all the way from childhood where they need a little bit more time with it. There is another question I have about trauma. 
What are the best way to learn about our own traumas to, in a way, to be able to recognize when we are traumatized? What is the most effective and direct way to know that? Mm, that's a good question. There's probably a number of answers for that. Um, I, I think one way is to, if there's anything intruding in your present that's keeping you from being present, it's sort of interfering with your ability to just stay in the present moment. And that can come in the form of anything, maybe some sensory experience or dreams, flashbacks, um, intense reactions that feel less in your control. I would say it would it would be worth exploring more where that's coming from. We can also find lots of free resources online that screen for traumatic. There's even a the Adverse Childhood Experiences uh, questionnaire is just a pretty popular questionnaire you can find online that's just got 10 questions related to things that happened before the age of 18 that might be contributing to some not being fully satisfied uh, with how you're functioning in life as an adult. And then I think too, um, uh, yoga, trauma-informed yoga, they have something called trauma-informed yoga, but just anything that would allow you to get really in touch and be aware of the inner workings of your, of your body, I think would also reveal a lot to you. So the, I remember the question now that I want to ask you before about EMDR is long distance. Would that work? Is that as effective or does it have to be in person? No, you can do, re, it's called remote EMDR. You absolutely, it's absolutely effective. I think there are a couple of considerations with it because the process can be um, activating in nature that you would want to make sure that the that if you are engaging in that with your with a professional online, you would want to have some safety precautions in in place. And as far as the efficacy, though, I've heard that it's it's just as effective. I think certain EMDR practitioners are can specialize actually in doing doing it remotely. So that would be something you could even search on their official uh, website um, to find a. A professional who who does the remote EMDR. In your book, you say trauma is not a mental disorder. So I'd love to hear more about this. Yeah, I I recognize in my profession we classify and categorize things in in the form of disorders. But if you really think about what happens to the nervous system when we're perceiving threat, the trauma is actually a very adaptive response to the environment at the time. When we leave it unattended, it can turn into something dysfunctional. But the actual response we have to a, a significant event is, it, I wouldn't consider that disordered in any way. I would consider it adaptive. Does a trauma change the brain? In a sense of permanently changing how the brain works, not just works, but the physical brain. My answer is yes. It a traumatic injury, whether it's something from, you know, brute force, like let's say a physical injury of a car accident, or a traumatic injury coming in from the five senses, is still considered a traumatic brain injury. So, it alters the structure and functioning of the brain and the nervous system. The good news is 
all of that is reversible. It's we can, you know, we can generate healing. So I wouldn't say anything is ever too far gone or hopeless in that regard. Something you mentioned in your book that caught my attention was about, I think it was a, a client of yours that he was feeling like he was weak because he would cry often. Yes. So I would love to hear more uh, about this topic of feeling that we are weak when we are actually traumatized. We are coming from trauma. Trauma signs can cause what seem like hypersensitivity or reactions that are sort of outside of our control. And I think people, depending on how they were taught about um, expressing emotion, they can feel very, they can experience shame if if they are not in control of that. And I, I think sometimes when people think they're supposed to be operating in a certain way, they they would consider themselves weak if uh, if they can't exactly function the way they want to. What I'm hoping, not in, only in my book, but just in general, is is that people start recognizing a lot of these reactions are outside of the cognitive control. They are, again, their body issues rather than their nervous system issues rather than just an issue of choosing to do something or, or being weak or being inadequate. These these are, these are ideas we can create in our mind when we're feeling not so good in our body, but we're not in control of our nervous system after we're traumatized. And it's so true coming from experience myself being traumatized in childhood and having other traumas that I think to this day, there is something about the body when I am in the presence of somebody that triggers something within the system and mean that it's a threat, but it's not even a perceived threat in an intellectual way. It's not cognitive, but it it's the body. It's just, yes. I can't help it, <laughs> but not feel right. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up. That's because that's really what it is. We're we're perceiving a threat in our environment, even when we're not in danger. But it's it's coming from our nervous system sending a signal to our body to ha activate that threat response. But it has nothing to do with our thoughts. It, it's an automatic process. Yeah. Amazing. And then in my case, I go to healers, but in a sense, more of a spirituality, like energy healing, you know, that body work. Oh, yeah. Uh, massage, therapy with that intention to release stress. But um, it has been much better these days, but it still happens. I think I think we'll always have a little bit of a if if because you're right. If you do ask the why question, there's there's legitimate answer to it. It's just not going to be very helpful in that moment. But I think it's still important to to be able to make make connections and all those things you described, the energy healing, the massage, all of those things are wonderful versions of, of pretty much all the same thing, which is how do we get regulated again, I, balanced? That's it. Yeah. I also practice yoga and I meditate. Mm -hmm. So that helps a lot. And yeah, I think you um, almost allured to that, uh, a question that I have about, does he ever go away? Really? I have done a lot of healing work myself. And it seems like it's still here. The body still reacts, responds from trauma. So I'm wondering if that will ever go away. I think it can. I think 
one of the things that would it that would require is sort of being very acutely aware of the threat response and trying to interrupt it as it's happening. I think that repetition, that practice will eventually create that the automatic response will be the the safety rather than the threat. What I usually do when it has to do with people, especially family members, I don't give up in being around them. So I'm mm. always around mm-hmm. them anyway. And I become very aware of the body, what it's doing, and then I don't give up in the sense of running from them because that's mm. what the body's really wanted to do. But right. It has changed in a sense of um, intensity, so it's less intense now, but it's still there. It never really went away. I was just wondering if that maybe I should try the... I have heard about EMDRs from, by so many people. That must be incredible. I should try one of these days and see... That could definitely be an option because essentially what we're trying to do with EMDR is desensitize responses to to the past, to the present, and even the future. There's even a way that you can prepare, as you were saying, like there's this sort of this um, automatic urge to, to flee, but you stay. What's really amazing about EMDR is it can actually prepare you for future threats. Yeah, in the presence of the same type of perceived threat, I wouldn't have the same response. The body would. Oh, that's amazing. And then, you know, sometimes I think about personality types too. I'm an introvert. So it's really not something that I love doing. (laughs) How do Mm -hmm. I love people? (laughs) And, but people more like in the sense of this, like the podcast, I host, I love this because mm-hmm. every everyone has this, uh, they're healers. They are people that we can, I can just feel very safe and open with them. Yeah. There's no threats at all. And we are not in person too. That might change yes. <laughs> if we report in person. But um, yeah, it, yeah, it's such an amazing adventure to be in a human body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So another uh, topic in your book that caught my attention was about this old school mindset mentality Mm -hmm. about enduring or living in pain and being proud of it. Especially for men, right, Peter? It it must be more true than for women, or perhaps both of us, all of us. I think historically men have been not given permission to be expressive when it comes to asking for help. And uh, the old school mindset is, I, I wasn't intending to be aggressive, but sort of confronting the issue, which is there have been tragedies resulting from people not knowing they're allowed to get some assistance. And I just think that's, it's completely unnecessary. So the goal is now to, and I think even with the, the knowledge and research we have nowadays where most of these issues we're discussing are, are, are physiological anyway, they have nothing to do with, with your, your brain or your, your emotions as a human being, there's more of an invitation now to, it's like, you don't have to convince people as much to go to a medical doctor. So it's sort of the same thing now. We're, we're not, it's not like we're trying to get you to become soft or sensitive. We're just trying to get you the help you need so that you don't create problems for yourself later on. What do you love most about being in a human body or being the human body? Oh, that's uh, interesting. It's taking me longer to, that's a less spontaneous uh, question for me. You know, I think there's this, you could call it, uh, going back to joy, you could call it exhilaration, excitement. There's something about when you're 
really just like in the moment and you know you're alive, you're conscious of that. It sounds so simple, but it's just, it, it can be an exhilarating experience to just recognize that you have these sensory experiences that have, you're not guaranteed and you can just kind of experience them and just be extremely grateful for them. I think I, I love when those moments just kind of spontaneously arise. Oh my God, so true. I love that you said that too. I remember having a thought, I think it was this morning or, or last, yesterday, um, I'm not sure about the time, but thinking about something very, very simple. And then it got me so happy mm. and joyful. And it was a very simple experience. I don't remember exactly mm. what it was, but it was so simple, almost like sitting on, on my chair, the new chair that I got. And it yeah. felt really good. And I was so excited about it. even the thought of it. <laughs> that was like, that's so simple to be happy about it. But, yeah. And then I kind of, it resonates very much with what you just said. It's amazing to be here. We don't yeah. know how this happened. And, and one, just one that's coming to mind that I want to share. You mentioned you have a dog. I, I yeah. <laughs> just recently took my dog to a beach uh, for the first time where he could, he could come off a leash. Oh, that's the best. <laughs> and just, just seeing him for the first time without the leash, like just naturally, he just wanted to mm. run as far as he could. <laughs> yes. It, right. Just acknowledge seeing that freedom. It was it was just such an amazing experience. It was, there was so much gratitude there. Right. Oh, my God. That's so beautiful that you mentioned that, too. I feel the same way. <laughs> oh, when he doesn't drink the salt water, does yes. your dog, <laughs> yes. right? Sometimes they go for the water. Does sure your dog do. drink the water, too? Does yes, it try actually. <laughs> it does? Oh, my God. That's the only thing. But, yeah, what a beautiful experience to witness, right, Peter? Right. What three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? The first would be a, a completely 100% safe embrace between them and someone else. You know, just a safety of physical touch without any perceived threat. The second would be that experience that I think we talked about earlier coming from within of like really truly knowing that you can trust yourself. That That's incredible. This might sound a little um, morbid. <laughs> well, I would say the experience of healing from a loss, because I do believe our losses um, eventually, if we, if we work with them, are the best things that could happen to us in a body. I love your presence in our reality, Peter. I love the wisdom that you share. I love your gentleness too, your kindness. It's just so beautiful. Thank you so much for being here with us in this earth. <laughs> we oh, need you. more of your presence. Uh, so before we say goodbye for today, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? My website is uh, drpetersalerno.com. And you can pretty much find information there about my practice. There's some links to my books that are available also on Amazon. And then, of course, I have uh, an Instagram account, which is the same. I think it's Dr. Peter Salerno. And um, that would be helpful for people who just want to have some exposure to some of the... I, I, do, I do posts that are directly direct quotes from, from my book and just that sort of... So I consider that sort of a digital service, let's say. And I think that's it. All the contact information would be on my website, uh, drpetersalerno.com. 
Wonderful. And I'll, I'll have those links on your podcast profile too. Thank you. Thank you so much again, Peter. And we'll talk soon. Bye. Thank for you now. for having me. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Peter Salerno and his work, please visit drpetersalerno.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.